Good morning. Good morning. Um, I guess I, I didn't know that I needed that, but I was pretty wrecked during those songs. That was, that was good. Um, whew. All right, Genesis chapter 21. I'm going to read again this morning, and uh, we'll get some readers back up here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the reins on this one. I want to read a text of scripture, a passage, uh, kind of in continuation with uh, where we were at last week. Hey, if you weren't here last week, um, and the bridge is your church home, like you come here a lot, you consider this your, your church family, I just want to encourage you to uh, go back, give it a listen. I think it's one of those ones that um, I think God's been preparing the soil of this place for years to be able to receive a message like that on good soil and the soil of our hearts. And, and um, I just think that it's one that every once in a while, it's not like better than other ones, but there's just something that, that God does. Where it's, I kind of feel like it's like those where you plant a, a stake in the ground moments. I, I just feel that. So if, you would, if this is your home church, you weren't here last week, um, I would encourage you and just actually even request that you would make it part of your rhythm this week and you'd listen to that. Um, in Genesis chapter 21, we're going to read 21 verses. I'm going to do that and then we'll get into this morning's study. Starting in verse 21, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Verse six, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children Yet I have borne a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. Weaned. Some say three years old. Some say five years old. Some say seven or eight years old. There's a period of time. Abraham held a great feast. Uh, and when the child was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham, Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, but he is your, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them 
on her shoulders and sent them off with the boy, sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. As she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got him, got a wife for him from Egypt. Let's pray. Father, one thing that is very clear to me is that before we were ready to come to church today, you were ready. Before the songs were picked out or the message was finished, you already knew that you had things that you wanted to speak to us. You already knew that you had a work you wanted to do in us. And so, Lord, we stand here and we sit here uh, with an open posture to God Almighty, the one who created us, the one who knows us, who is well uh, acquainted with our ways and is also well acquainted with the brokenness of our world. We sit in just that in-between time of we're not where we've been and we're not where we're going to be. We're just here and we're just us. But we sit here with an openness to you, to your word, and to your Holy Spirit. And you say that when there is an empty vessel placed in front of you, you will fill it. So, Lord, that's what we declare this morning. We are empty vessels wanting to be filled by you. Would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen. What we're looking at this morning is a new season. We've been talking about the in-between time. We've been talking about these different things. What we see here is there's a start to something new. Nothing says new like the birth of a child. That's literally the newest thing. I remember watching both of our boys take their first breath. It's crazy. This first breath of oxygen. Watching them do everything for the first time. Nothing says new like birth. First steps, and so on and so forth. You know, it's funny. I was talking to Steph's dad, Bapa, we call him. I was talking to Bapa not too, I don't remember when it was, not too, too long ago because it's fresh in the old noggin. But I was watching Jonah or Ollie do something fairly recently, and, I'm, and I said to Grandpa, I, I go, uh, you know, it's crazy for me to watch my my boy's still doing new things. And he goes, yeah, I'm still doing it. And I was all, oh, it just blew my mind because he's watching his daughter be a mom of teenagers. And I was like, oh my gosh, 
something about parenting, watching your kids do first things. So it's literal, fresh start, new birth here. But there's a lot of figurative new start things happening at the same time. There are these uncharted waters of life. What do we do now? How do we navigate this one? There are things, can we just start this morning by saying, there are things going inside, going on inside of your heart that are hard to explain, hard to put into some sort of compartment. They're hard to explain. They're hard to know what to do with. But they're not so hard to identify if we're looking for the right things. There are signs in your life when God is doing something new. That's what I want to talk about today. I think I have four here. As we look at this new start and the things going on inside of Abraham and inside of Sarah, I want to identify and just unpack a little bit four signs that God is doing a new work in your life. Because last week we ended with this sense that Lot's trajectory of life ended him up in a spot that he had to be rescued from. The New Testament, there's a spot where it says that some of us will be saved and our clothes will still be on fire, like snatched out of the fires. And there's like this sense that our lives are leading us somewhere. And then when we recognize that sometimes, there's this opportunity for a new aim, which we've been talking about. And then there's this new start, like this now what? But if we look, it's hard to know, like, okay, what do I do? But I just want to identify things that are going on under the surface that show God is up to something. Sometimes, let's just say, they're, I'm going to give them to you in order that they're given to us in the text. And as I was looking, I was like, whoa, you know what's crazy is there could be something to this order as well. But then don't get too hung up on the order because if I'm real, these things are always happening all the time. It's just like different bits here and there. You'll see what I'm saying. The first one is this. I would encourage you to write this down because uh, if you're an adult like me, your brain is real foggy. I'll pray for you if you pray for me. And uh, this way, if you jot it down, you can remember it. Go back and look at it. Jot it down in the note of in the margin of your Bible or whatever. Signs that God is doing a new thing in your life. The first one is this: there is a fresh hope in God's promises. There's just this fresh hope. Those these first verses. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as He had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what what He had promised. What he had promised. Sarah became pregnant, bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God promised him. That, gosh, that is worth some underlining, some circling. There's something about some timing here of God's promises coming to pass when the time was right. Not to Sarah, but to God. Because how old was she? 90. That was the whole thing. She was like, this is crazy that God would do this thing that she had been holding on to and bearing a lot of shame because it hadn't come to pass. 
when there is something you feel God wants to do in your life, this has ministered to me for years. I felt God calling me to do this in some aspect. I didn't know what it looked like years ago. And then I read the story of David, who God saw something in him when no one else saw something. And he anointed him. And in God's eyes, he said, you're the next king of Israel. Some little kid covered in sheep crap out of the woods that was like, couldn't, wasn't cleaned up for dinner. Matter of fact, they're like, uh, let's not invite him. Dinner will go more smoothly. And God's like, no, there's someone missing. And they go and get David and bring him in. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit speaks to Samuel the prophet and says, that one, that's the one. And he had pours oil on this kid's head. And this kid is probably thinking, this is the weird church stuff I was warned about. <laughs> they start singing about the Holy Spirit and weird things happen. They pour oil on this kid's head and it's dripping down and it's a sign of God's favor, his anointing. That You know what happened? He was a, let's say he was early teens when that happened. You know what happened after that? So God's promise. For the next 25 years, he ran for his life. Let me just sum it up. His life was opposite of the king. He was a nobody. He was... But God gave him these great victories, but he was becoming this thing. And for 25 years, we don't see it. God crowned him 25 years before the world did. When God's promise is something and we live in that time of what's going to happen, there's this turmoil that happens. But when God is at work in your life, there's this inkling of hope in God's promises. Has God given you promises in his word that you just hold on to? They're in there. He wants you to sit, search for him like it's treasure because he just has these, these beautiful gems that he wants you to hold on to. And he's going to say, not your timing, but mine. But there's just this thing you can tell when God's at work. There's just like this hunger for God's word. There's this, you know, there's just this thing. The point of promises is that there is hope that the best is yet to come. The game, it's not over for you. The, the best wasn't in the past. God still has things he wants to do. That's what Sarah was saying. She was like, I am beyond, it's impossible to have kids. Yet God grants me this thing that I've always yearned for, and it was in his timing. You know, it wasn't seeing God's promise come to pass. It's not seeing God's promises in the rear view that bring hope. It's the way in which we look for them that brings hope. It's the way she waited for it to come to pass. Hope does the funniest things to people. It changes us. It changes the way we live when we have hope. It changes what we're aiming at. We're in different places as families and this and that, so... I'm going to quote a movie right here, and if you don't let your kids watch that movie, that's okay. But I really like the Hunger Games series. And in the Hunger Games, Senator Snow, this is in the first one, is speaking to Seneca, the game's master. And Senator Snow says, Seneca, why do you think we have a winner? 
I mean, if we just want to intimidate the districts, why not round up 24 of them at random and execute them all at once? It would be a lot faster. And Seneca, the game master, is quiet and he looks at him, confused, and President Snow says, hope. Seneca goes, hope? President Snow, hope. It is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine as long as it's contained. And then he looks at the game master and he says, so contain it. And that's where we're like, oh, heck no. <laughs> you know the devil's number one priority in your life? If you don't know this, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. He wants to contain and take it away and have you look for it and only what you can provide for yourself and have you seek it in the pleasures of Sodom and the pleasures of this world and the pleasures of the temporary he wants he's like give him a little hope it's fine but a lot of hope is dangerous hope is dangerous because it opens up the possibilities of what God can do that's next level. It is hope that anchored Sarah and Abraham to God's promise of a son. And it is hope that anchors us to God's promises. Fast forward into the New Testament. Who is our hope? His name is Jesus. Matter of fact, it says Jesus, this hope we have, he anchors us to that which is permanent. He anchors us to that which is eternal. He anchors us to that which is good. He holds on to us. So for those of you here this morning that you've let go of God some time ago, let me just tell you, has not, he has not let go of you. People say, ah, oh, I don't believe in God. My response is always the same. Well, he believes in you. Hope changes people. So if you're experiencing some fresh hope in your life right now, and you don't know where to put it, don't put it anywhere. Just let it be. It's a good thing. It's a, it's a sign that God is doing something new in your life. You don't have to explain it. Just lean into it. Open up your hands and say, Spirit, lead me, like we were singing this morning. The correlation between this morning's worship set and my message is ridiculous, by the way. So praise the Lord. Second one is this. There is a fresh joy in God's provision. A fresh joy in God's provision. Verse 6, Sarah said, God brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. She, they had been laughing at her for a long time. It's nice when someone laughs with you. Who would have said that Abraham and Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne a son in his old age? There is a joy. There was a joy in God's provision, and there were people in their lives that shared in that joy. In their case, the joy is Isaac. You know what Isaac means? It means he laughs. When they think about their son, it makes them remember God's promise when they laugh. Maybe skeptically at times, but it also has a sense of the, the joy and the, uh, that that would bring, that if God would really see fit to give them a child, it just made them giggle. Isaac, he laughs. 
Fresh joy in God's provision. You know, it's so important to have people in your life that celebrate your wins. One of the things I like least about the world we live in is how much we love to watch people fail. I freaking hate it. I, it makes me so, like when I watch people fail, I, dude, that, it's so cringy to me. I'm like, I can't even watch. I can't watch like, I don't like watching crashes. I don't like watching people get hurt. I can't stand the American Idol where they have the people on that are just horrible. You're like, God bless this person. Why are you doing this? It's because they get ratings, because we love to watch people fail. I love to watch people succeed. I love to watch people win. It's part of what God has put in my heart. I want to, the Bible says, in the body of Christ, when someone hurts, we're all, we all hurt. And when someone wins, we all win. And to celebrate these wins with one another. That's why when something's going on in someone's family, and it's not going on in yours, and it hurts, it hurts. But when someone counts a win, what's our first thing? We get jealous. I want to win. I want this. I want that. Instead of just like letting it be, but when God is at work in your life, you're happy for them. You're not looking for anything in return. You just want to roll with them and celebrate with them. Some of us have been on our own a long time, and we're scared to reintegrate. Yes, be re-released into the wild of this world. And we hold everything so close, we don't let anybody in. But that, when God is moving in your heart, you're going to start opening up a little bit. And it's going to be scary, but you, you got to just be brave and go. We don't do life groups at church because it's a churchy thing to do. We do life groups at church because as we get to know one another and things are happening, you just share that something and you're like, People are for you. People want to, when you win, we win. It's important to have people in your life that celebrate your wins. Celebrate the new milestones. Here's another thing. When God provides, it's not like the world provides. I'm watching a new show on Netflix right now, Breakpoint. Tennis show. It's awesome. But like you grow up as an athlete and you're, the thing that drives you is to beat the goat in whatever sport you're in and win the big thing. Wimbledon, US Open, Australian Open, French Open, the grand, win a Grand Slam. So you do it, they give their whole life to it, they get it, they stand on this mountaintop and we equate that to spiritual things. Okay, <clears throat> I'm gonna walk on water. I'm really hoping that'll happen one day. And uh, I'm going to speak in tongues every day, and I'm going to feel amazing about myself. I'm never going to, like, doubt again. That's on my checklist for 2024, hoping that's going to happen. And then you know how I'm going to make all that stuff come to pass? I'm going to fast. And we look at everything in this realm of I'm going to do big things to get big things. Let me just tell you, when God is at work in your life, there is a beautiful joy in simple things. The life of faith is not like this ultra, pardon the term, but it's not like this really like sexy thing. It's way more normal. 
when God is at work in your life, we find joy in living simply, getting rid of excess. Little things. Babies are small, and they're hard. Amen? Amen. Parents are like, oh, amen. It's a lot of work, but your joy has never been more full. There's joy in the little things. The little bit of God's word that you read and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm reading this. And then there's this sentence. You're like, oh, my gosh. Dude, that is amazing. That's like that was written for me. I'm going to underline that. I'm just going to think about that all day. Next thing you know, God has spoken a theme by his spirit through his word over your life for the next year. And you can't get it out of your head. Aim true. Aim straight. Where's my aim? What am I doing? Those are small things, but those are big things. I can always tell when God is doing something new in someone's life because there's this joy. There's this release of baggage and burden and heaviness, and there's a little bit of laughter. There's a little bit of lightness. I can always tell when the devil's at work and, and, and the world, the flesh, and the devil are at work in our lives because we're heavy and we're burdened. But when God is at work, there is a, a laughter, a medicine. The third thing is there's a fresh humility. Verse 9, but Sarah saw the son whom Hagar, this is where the story turns weird. It always does. You ever read the Old Testament? You're like, man, this is so good. Wait, what? Dang. How, what does that even mean? It always turns weird. It's because it's just life, man. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born, Abram, was mocking. So she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. This matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and the slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And I will make the son Ishmael into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Humility is a crazy thing, too. It's the opposite of pride. Pride exalts self. Humility. Okay, I've been thinking about this a lot. Pride exalts self. So we'll say, Humility puts self down. When, you put, when you're prone to putting yourself down all the time, it's actually just pride's ugly cousin. It's still pride because you're doing it to yourself. You're exalting yourself by putting yourself down. If you're one of these people in here who's prone to, like me, have bad self-talk, it's just the worst thing, right? Again, I was watching this, the tennis thing. And this is so profound. This one coach says, when this person is simply just playing the opponent, they're unstoppable. But this person's problem is they, they're fighting the other opponent and themselves at the same time. And I was like, oh, my gosh. It was like God just dropping a bomb on me. And I'm like, dude, that's what we do, right? See, humility isn't putting self down. It's placing others above yourself. I hope you see the difference. 
Because when you put yourself down, you're putting yourself down. But when you, you can place, you cannot put yourself down and still put others above yourself. It's a cool thing. What are some signs of fresh humility? These are hard, but I want to talk about them. The first one is when there's a fresh humility, when God's doing something, there's a, there is a fresh realization of your personal failures. Things that you did that were not good. Wish I had a do-over with that one. Man, that really hurt some people. Man, that changed the course of some things. Admitting past failures. And learning to forgive and overlook others' failures. Where we get to the point when God is starting to, we stop blaming others for where we're currently at. A couple of signs that God is at work in, with humility. We can look back at our past mistakes. We can look them in the face. And then we can stop allowing what people did to us to have power over us. And we can listen again to someone who made a mistake in the past. This is where those whole messages wrapped around this. In verse 11, 12, the matter greatly displeased Abraham. And God said, listen to Sarah. I was like, wait a minute. When was the last time we're given in the text, they're married, and they have a healthy marriage because they're aimed at God. So I was... Assume Abraham listened to Sarah all the time. But specifically what we're told, when she told him to do something in the past and was adamant about it, she told him, sleep with Hagar so you can make us an heir. Because she was putting herself down, all of this stuff. She said, sleep with Hagar. And now she says, get rid of them. And Abraham's like, eh. he could have been like, listen, no. Last time I listened to you, it's how we got into this mess. Husbands, not a good way to start an argument. <laughs> Even if you have a point, just a little heads up. Not uh, setting yourself up to succeed in that situation. But isn't it interesting that God said, specifically said, listen to her for what she's saying is right. Now, did he say what, he's, what she's saying is easy? <laughs> no. It was greatly distressing. <clears throat> is what she's saying going to be easy to do and easy to like? look back on with regret? People say, no regrets. Like the tattoo, that kid got the neck tattoo. Says no ragrets on it. It's hilarious because he misspelled it. Anyways. <laughs> Humility brings a fresh vulnerability that has to trust God in a new way. When God is doing something and it's bringing about this stuff in your life, this not to shame, it's not to this. It's to bring about this new, beautiful, fertilized soil of your heart, this vulnerable stuff that God 
that we have to trust God in a new way. Humility is a great thing. It's a, bless, it's a blessable place. God wants to bless you. He does. But oftentimes, we have to just like, we're humbled first. So when you find yourself being humbled, it's the opposite of what the world wants to do. Don't fight it. Just lean into it. Call out to God because comes the next thing. When there is a fresh humility, there comes a new strength. And we're going to finish with this. And then we're going to take communion together. And last time we took communion, I noticed some people got up and left. That's cool, wherever you're at. You don't have to take communion when it comes by. It's zero pressure. I would ask that you would stay and just hear what it's all about. There is a new strength. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He sent them, set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. She went her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When God is at work in your life, there is a new strength to do hard things. I want to just talk about two hard things. One hard thing is cutting ties with the past. You can't move forward until you let the past go. Somebody needs to hear it. You can't move forward until you let the past go. You can face forward. I was thinking about having a rope up here, tied here, and then tying it around my back and trying to walk this way. You can only go so far, and you may be facing the right way, but you're always fighting, and you can't take any more steps forward until the past is cut. This is a hard thing to do, especially when there are people involved. When I got saved and gave my life to Jesus, I was 17 years old. I hadn't lived with my family forever. I lived with my friends. My friends were my family. I knew all about a being part of a body. You don't, you're not just part of a body. You don't just start worshiping when you become a Christian. We're always worshiping. We're always part of something. And my friends, they were my family. And when God did this thing in my life, this fresh work, I didn't know what to do with it. I just started following him. The hardest decision I ever did was leave the place where I lived and my, and my friends. Matter of fact, they hated me for a while. I had to let go in order to go the way I knew God was calling me to do. And it was really hard. It is hard to let go of the past. That's why it's a sign of God being at work in your life, not a sign of being a good Christian. Because it's hard to do. We have things that are holding us in place that want to pull us back. Desires that want to draw us back to these bad places in our life. God wants to cut that stuff off. The event with Hagar and Ishmael is crazy. But keep reading. Because you get all the way to the New Testament and we see things like it wasn't just a woman and her son. It was a whole picture of the path of the flesh. Trying to do things your way. Sleep with this person. Give us an heir. Do this. Make yourself a great nation. It's the way of Cain. It's the way of the serpent. It goes all the way back. And here we're being told that Ishmael is the son of the flesh. 
Isaac is the son of the spirit. There's a way that God wants to lead you in and a way that the devil wants to lead you in, the way that you lead yourself in. And there comes a time where God's like, it's time and it's hard and it's messy. It says in Galatians chapter 5 that there's two, I'm going to paraphrase. You guys cool with that? There are two dogs eating all the time. And the one you feed gets stronger. And the one you don't feed starves. There's the dog of the flesh and one of the spirit. And they're fighting each other and going back and forth. They're opposed to one another. And the one you feed, and it says, here's some indications of who you're feeding, the flesh or the spirit. Sometimes we have to cut ties with the flesh to walk in the spirit. And when God is at work and giving us a new strength, there's, there is strength to cut ties with the past, but there is strength to entrust the past and the future into God's hands. That's what Abraham was doing. It says that he let them go and they went out and God says, I'm going to take care of them. But it is through Isaac that the seed that will crush the serpent that we talked about in Genesis chapter three, it is through him that the seed is going to come. That's from now on. That's where the Bible turns and follows the lineage of Abraham all the way to Jesus. So we're not going to talk about the lineage of Ishmael. I think somewhere at a, somewhere down the line in Genesis, it's like, oh, by the way, these people, these people, and these people, they're descendants of Ishmael. But from now on, we're following the seed of Abraham. That's what God wants us to do in his life. So there's a strength to entrust the past and the future. What do you think God wants for your life? The way you answer that question will let me know will let you know what you're entrusting to him. If you think God wants to take all the fun stuff away from your life, you're not going to entrust him with much. But if you actually think that God is true to his word and has amazing things, blessings, a spiritual path that's better than the fleshly path that you've been on, that the best high you'll ever have is actually being clear that tuning out is way worse than being tuned in like if you believe that that God's way there's good things for you you're going to be quicker to release things to him we're going to have communion When God is doing something in your life, all of these things, you could put them as hope. There's just this fresh sense that God is good. He is trustworthy. He will be with me when I go through it. He will bring people into my life to go through these things with me. And as we do this, I just want to say it's not a one and done situation. It's not like, boom. Did it. How was church? Epic. All my problems are solved. Why? Because we sang and I cried. 
And then I was like, yeah, God's at work in my life. How do you know? Because it's a mess. That's what he said. If your life's a mess, but you're like, okay, and looking to God, he's got you. So it's like everything's going to be fine. It's not a one and done thing. It's like a daily thing. We mess up. We fail. New humility. We re-aim. Fresh hope of God's promises. Fresh joy in God's provision. Fresh strength to re-entrust our lives to him. And as we do this again and again, we grow and we mature. And we entrust and give to others. So let me pray. We're going to pass out this stuff. And then I'm going to come up. We're going to take it together. And then we'll end our morning. Father, thank you for today, for your goodness, for your word. I just sense that you are here with us. And you're just the invitation for people is to go like this. Um, the flesh wants to go like this. So as I pray, if you're just in this place where you want to entrust God, I'm just going to ask that you would just like hold out like an open hand. It's a, it's a powerful thing to do with your body what your spirit is saying within you. And it's just a sense of we want to be open-handed to you. So, Lord, we're going to um, sing this song to you as a response. And um, then we'll take communion. But we thank you for your word and for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.